0: The passage that we're looking at this morning uh, is part of... This is part of a series that Simon started last week where we are looking at the last days, the last hours of Jesus' ministry. As he so aptly put it last week, the first 12 chapters of John is kind of a a speed dating experience of seeing all that was going on in Jesus' ministry and life and suddenly when you get to chapter 13, it just slows down as Jesus focuses on the disciples and prepares them for the cross and his resurrection. And we're going to be looking at these chapters from chapter 13 all the way through into chapter 21 as we prepare for Easter coming up at the end of March. And so that's kind of the, the mindset of the passages that we're looking at. And this morning we're continuing. Again, last week Simon started in the in the passage where Jesus is washing the disciples' feet in John 13. We're picking up at verse 18 this morning, right after he finishes teaching them about the role of being servants and if you're going to be a follower of me, you must learn to serve one another as he washed the disciples' feet. Now he's going to turn in verse, verse 18 and talk about the stewardship that he has in speaking the truth in love about what he's facing. Starting in verse 18, and that's by the way, this is found on page 900 in the Bible that you have in your pew if you're interested in reading that, but I'll be reading it out loud. Uh, Jesus is speaking. He says, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I've chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this, this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. He. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit, and he testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke, One of the disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. After he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him, Judas, and Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had, been, had the money bag, that is a treasure of the, of the crew, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the, for, for the feast, or that he should give some, something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he, Judas, immediately went out, and it was night. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, open our hearts to understand this passage and the passages which have been read previously, so that we would know how you have called us to live for your sake. We pray this in your name, amen. Numbers of years ago, when I was working in a different church, um, three of us who were on staff together agreed that we needed to talk to our boss about some pretty sensitive issues. And uh, we made an appointment together to go and talk with him. That day of our meeting, when at that point only two of us were in the office, two of the three of us were in the office, the day of the meeting, my boss came to me and emphatically said to me that he would meet with two of us, but he refused to meet with one of the others. Now, the other person who was in the office and I had to make a decision at that point, and we couldn't reach the third person. We had to decide whether or not we would talk with our boss without the third person being there or not have the talk at all. And under those circumstances, we felt like we needed to talk with him about these issues. However, later, when I spoke with the third person who was left out of the meeting, I discovered he felt very hurt that we agreed to meet with them. He felt like we, as two partners in this decision with him, had betrayed him by going and talking to our boss. Now, it was unconscious. It was unintentional, but that third person still felt like he was betrayed. All of us have experienced betrayal. It's a universal experience. If I was to sit down with each one of you individually over coffee, I know that you would be able to share with me stories of experiences when you have felt betrayed. I certainly am that way. And there's many ways of feeling betrayal because the root of betrayal is the violation of a person's trust or confidence, and we've all experienced that sense of violation. Perhaps the deepest, the most difficult type of betrayal is when it is conscious, premeditated, and deliberate deception. And that's what we have here in Judas. So we asked the question this morning together, how is betrayal to be handled? Now we have to pause for a moment and remember what Mark has pointed out to us already in the call to worship. All of us are betrayers. Romans 3 says, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Isaiah 53 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each one has gone to his own way. In the morning confession from the New City Catechism, we said together we are guilty of having disobeyed God and are still inclined to all evil. Friends, there is none that is righteous. We are all betrayers. So how is betrayal to be handled? Well, the first thing I want us to do this morning is just look into this passage and make some comments so that we can understand what was happening in the situation with Judas and Jesus. First, in verses 18 to 20, we see that Jesus has just finished washing the disciples' feet, including the feet of Judas. And in the midst of that, Jesus explicitly said in verse 11 you are clean, but not every one of you. And he was quietly tipping his hat to the reality that he knew who was going to betray him. In verse 18, the first verse that we have this morning, but it's just following right after Jesus is getting up after washing the disciples' feet, Jesus quotes from Psalm 41, verse 9, where it says, He who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me. That lifting up his heel is, 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 is um, a metaphorical of a horse that's lifting up its heel getting ready to kick somebody. And Jesus is talking about the fact that, that you have ate, eaten bread with me and eating bread together signifies close fellowship. What we discover here is that Jesus' action represented betrayal not of an acquaintance but of an intimate friend. In verse 19, Jesus shared about the coming betrayal and he shared it, he says in verse 19, to strengthen their faith. He says, I, I'm sharing this with you that when it takes place, you may believe that I am he. Does that sound familiar? Jesus said, I am who I am. That is, again, a statement that has overtones of deity to it. And he says, I want you to understand that I am he by sharing with you of the fact that, we're going to, that I'm going to face this betrayal. And the other thing we need to see in these first verses is that Jesus wasn't deceived and he wasn't a helpless victim of some unsuspecting treachery. He knew exactly what was happening and that it was God's plan. Now, in verses 21 through 30, here's some thoughts about Judas's betrayal itself. In verse 21, we read that one of them, one of the 12 was going to betray him. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And you probably will remember that when Jesus says, truly, truly, he's underlining the statement and putting exclamation points by it. This is something that you need to listen up to and understand. One of you is going to betray me. Now, folks, when we read this together, we have 20-20 hindsight. We know exactly who's the one that's going to betray him. And we know the level of betrayal. That it's going to send Jesus to the cross. But nothing has been said in the gospel up to this point that would make it clear who the one is that Jesus is talking about Or what kind of betrayal it would be. Would it be deliberate? Would it be unconscious? Would it be a small thing? Would it be a significant thing? Nothing is given in the gospel up to this point to understand that. And no one except Judas knew what Jesus was talking about. The other disciples only knew that one of them was going to betray him in some kind of undefined way. Notice in verse 21, it also says that Jesus was troubled in his spirit. While he was in control, while he fully understood what was happening, it doesn't mean he was unmoved. He underlined this when he says, truly, truly. This is amazing emotional regulation that Jesus is demonstrating here. How do you respond when you feel betrayed by somebody? Often we will accuse, will attack, will cut that person off, will leave them out. Not Jesus. He continued to engage with Judas as well as the other disciples. Now, as I said before, the disciples are completely taken by surprise. We see this in verse 22. they weren't suspicious of Judas. They were asking whether or not they themselves could be the person who who did it. In Matthew 26 and in Mark 14, every one of the disciples were saying, Lord, is it I? Judas, to to be honest, was extremely duplicitous and covered his tracks well. Nobody expected that he was the one. And even though Jesus disclosed to John who would betray him in verse 26, it's implied that Jesus didn't want John to refer to the, I mean, share it with the whole group to know who the identity of the traitor would be. And even in verse 28, where the passage says, now no one at the table knew why he had said what he said to Judas. That implies that John didn't even grasp the significance of Jesus giving him Judas that that piece of bread. Nothing in the narrative shows that Jesus meant the betrayal was imminent. And when Judas left the meeting, in verse 29, all of them assumed he was fulfilling some kind of prearranged purpose, buying food further for the feast, or, or maybe giving alms to the poor. We also see in verse 27... That Judas's decision was a unique combination, a unique combination of both personal intent and satanic influence. Psychiatrist John White wrote a book on depression called The Masks of Melancholy. And in that book, he says: no one can easily diagnose between the physical, the psychological, and the spiritual influences impacting us in decisions and responses. The the passage clearly says that there was satanic influence happening in in Judas, but there was also personal choice and personal volition that was involved. And again, the, the disciples had no idea of what was going on and they had nothing to indicate that there was going to be a deliberate, conscious, premeditated act of treachery. And let me finally say that there's a lot of speculation on why Judas did this. I could go into, I could spend the whole time talking about the speculation of why Judas did this. but the Bible doesn't give us a rationale. It only tells us what happens. Now, because of this, Just pause for a minute, and we're going to move on to the response to the betrayal. But let me just say, two times in my life, I've been in a situation in jobs that I thought that job was going to last till the end of my career. Now, I was never fired from those jobs, but I was blindsided to learn, usually inadvertently, that the boss wanted me to leave. The question is, how do I handle that? One situation was simply the boss felt like we were were a smaller organization and and that they couldn't uh, use the the money that they were using to pay me to do the work that I was doing as much as he appreciated that. They thought there were other other things that needed to happen that were more important. The other situation was more complicated where a number of us were implicated into a situation that the boss thought that we were undermining him for some reason that we didn't even know about. Regardless of the reasons behind it, I experienced being blindsided by those situations. And how was I to handle that? Jesus wants us to trust him in the mystery, in the mystery of a betraying incident. That's what we see in these first verses. Jesus didn't tell them the whole story. He just led that that there's going to be a betrayal that happens. And in the midst of that mystery, what he was still saying to them was, I want you to know I am he. And the most important thing in the midst of an experience of betrayal is for us to say, will I trust God in the midst of this? Do I believe that behind this mess, this disappointment this breaking of trust, that God is still at work. I I know that in my situation, the prayer and talking with close friends and reading scripture and singing songs and most importantly saying, God, I don't know what's going on here, but I believe that you're God and you know what you're doing. And heck, if those things hadn't taken place, Janet and I wouldn't be here with you and we're having a blast being with you. So praise God but I didn't feel that way in the midst of it. So how are we supposed to respond to betrayal? How do we manage an experience of either being betrayed or having others perceive that we have betrayed them? Interestingly enough, this passage is embedded in a broader context and the passages that we'll be looking at next week talk about the fact that that Peter Jesus pointed out to Peter that he was going to deny him Peter was going to deny Jesus 3 times so we see in the in the broader contrast a passage a contrast between two ways to manage betrayal, betrayal Judas and Peter again in chapter 13:38 Jesus tells Peter he will deny him 3 times we see in chapter 27 of Matthew that Mark had read earlier, how Judas responded to his betrayal. Both of them, Peter and Judas, experienced deep sorrow. It says in in Matthew 27 that, that Judas changed his mind. That Greek word changed his mind is very specific. We don't grasp it because we don't know the Greek, but It literally denotes a person who is regretting something that has gone wrong, that they're remorseful, that they're even seized with guilt. But it doesn't mean that they want to make things right with God or with the other person. It means that they feel bad about what's happened. Maybe they've been caught. Maybe they've been identified. Regardless, their response is feeling bad about it, but not doing something to resolve it. With Peter, he also felt a deep sadness. If you read in Luke chapter 22, verse 62, after he had denied Jesus three times, it says he went off and wept bitterly. Both Judas and Peter experienced deep, deep pain and sorrow about what happened. But the difference was what they did with that. Judas' response was remorse, not repentance. He felt bad about what took place, but he disengaged himself from his relationships with the other disciples, and eventually he committed suicide. It led to death. Peter's repentance is clearly seen because he reengaged with the disciples and when Jesus appeared to them after the crucifixion in John 20, Peter was there with them. And when the disciples didn't know what to do and went out fishing and Jesus met them on the shore and was preparing breakfast for them and they noticed it was Jesus, Peter didn't say, oh, goodness. Jesus, the one I denied and didn't run away. Jesus, Peter jumped into the water and swam to Jesus. And then Jesus had that dialogue with him that we all know about. Simon, do you love me? Simon, do you love me? Simon, do you love me? Do you note that he's asking him three times? Just like Simon had denied him three times. And Simon is in a mode of repentance. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 7:10 the passage that Mark read earlier again. And in verse 10 it says, "Godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Worldly grief produces death. Judas's grief, was worldly grief that produced death. Simon's grief produced repentance that led to salvation. So, when we are conscious that we have sinned against God or sinned against somebody else, how do we respond? Do we do we respond with resistance? with avoidance or hiding or denial or do we face the reality of what's happened and own up to it? Do we confess our sins and come clean? What does that look like? Mark read Luke 17, Jesus explains to us what it looks like. In Luke 17, Jesus simply says in a broader context, he says, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If your brother sins, some kind of brokenness has happened, some kind of betrayal has taken place in the relationship. It's known, it's seen, it's acknowledged. And Jesus says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. Rebuke to us sounds like a harsh word a sharp reprimand or a criticism but that's not what this greek word means this greek word means going to the person with gentleness sharing your side of the problem and seeking clarification it means to seek to help the person understand what they have done how it's violated the relationship and the pain it's produced the motive is not to attack but to help this person recognize the problem that exists and do something about it. Jesus says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. That is, go to them and seek to bring about understanding and clarification. And then Jesus says, if he repents, forgive him. And if he repents seven times, forgive him seven times. And, of course, the opposite of that's the truth as well. If he does not repent, you can't forgive him. Why? Because you don't want to? No, because they won't recognize it, because they don't acknowledge it, because they don't say, yes, I see what's happened. Forgive me. There's got to be a a recognition for reconciliation to happen. There's got to be an owning up of both parties to what has taken place for there to be reconciliation and forgiveness and restitution in the, in the relationship. There was no repentance in Judas. There was only worldly grief. But we see repentance in Peter, Simon, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. So in summary, what do we see in this passage? The disciples didn't understand what was happening but Jesus wanted them to remember so that they would know that he is God and that he is in control. That's the first thing. The second thing is that Jesus is an amazing example of emotional regulation, troubled but submissive to the Father's will. Thirdly, the contrast between godly grief and worldly grief is seen between Peter and Judas. And finally, we are called to seek repentance and reconciliation. Brothers and sisters, we're all betrayers. And repentance is the way of reconciliation to God and to one another. A number of years ago, <laughs> a number of years ago, uh, we were doing a remodeling on the Little house that we owned, and we didn't have money to have others. So I was doing remodeling with the help of friends coming in and trying to show me how to hang drywall and how to do all kinds of crazy things. And um, and part of that was like all remodeling. There was a bunch of junk that was needed to be thrown away. We didn't. I didn't hire and bring in a, a big U-Haul. Tra- I mean, a trailer to, to get the junk. We just collected all the junk and finally. Uh, I, I put it out in the front because I found out that the, in, the, in the county we were in, the trash collecting, if you paid them $50, they would bring a special truck out and they'd pick up your junk. And so I was about to do that when some, some folks I knew said, listen, don't pay $50, just leave the stuff out there. And when the trash people come, the regular normal trash people come, if you just go out there and you give each one of the guys five bucks, this was a few years ago, folks, okay, it'd be more. He said, if you just give each one of the guys five bucks. You know, 10, 15 bucks, they'll take the trash away and you don't have to pay 50 bucks. And being a Scot, and you know, I thought, yeah, that's, that sounds like a good deal. So, so I did that. I went out and I gave each one of the guys five bucks and they hauled the stuff away. And in the midst of that happening, <laughs> my wife was watching. She watched me go out and she came back. I came back and she said, Hey, help me, help me understand. What just happened? Because she knew about the 50-buck deal thing. And I said, well, these guys told me if I just gave five bucks to each one of the trash guys, they'd, they'd haul it away and it would save us money. I mean, we, we don't have a lot of money. It would just save us money. And, and she, she didn't attack me. She didn't scorn me. She didn't look at me and say, what kind of a Christian are you, let alone a pastor? She just said... I don't think that's representing Jesus to our community. She was right. So I sucked it up. I drove to the office where the the county office where the guys were and I said, where's the boss? He came and I said, I was wrong. I owe you $50 because your folks picked up my stuff and I didn't do the special call. I just paid off the guys to pick it up for me. He didn't fall down and say, gee, who are you? He didn't say, what church do you represent? He just said, thank you for being honest. It was hard on me. Repentance is never easy. Recognizing our brokenness is not easy, but brothers and sisters, we're all broken. And God calls all of us to repent in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord God, for the amazing grace that you extended to Judas when you gave him that piece of bread and he knew that you knew and you didn't rail him out and condemn him before the disciples. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your forgiveness for Peter when he denied you three times. Oh, Lord, Teach us not just to have remorse. Teach us, Lord, to repent. In Jesus' name, amen.